Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Kian Sobani. On vacation is Gabe Lestra, and uh, he's not joining me tonight because, in his own words, or, or his ex- own excuse or whatever, his, his Wi-Fi sucks, um, which is, you know, clearly he's just having too much fun. And, and the, you know, we live in the 21st century. There's Wi-Fi everywhere. But we hope you're having fun, Gabe. Joining me in his stead is our excellent writer from ManagingMadrid.com, Matt Wiltz. Matt, how are you? Doing well, Kian. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, it's, it's, I think this is your second appearance. Am I, am I correct? Uh, third, actually. Third. third. Yeah. Maybe first time with me, I think? No, I've yeah, done one with, with you. you. First really? time with you, actually. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, it's a blur. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, where are you now? You're in the States? Yep, I'm in uh, New York City. Mm. How was it that, this time of year? It's actually, believe it or not, it's really nice. We haven't had any cold weather yet. It's Oct- October, and we're still kind of feeling that summer weather. So I'm enjoying it. I'm I'm okay with that. So hey, global warming, man, jump on the train. Yeah, it's freaking beautiful here in Canada. I'm not complaining. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is the international break. We all dread it, um, but it's also I told as I told Gabe on I think it was the patron only podcast that it's kind of bittersweet because. It gives me a chance to turn my brain off um, and just kind of spend time with the family and and not have to ex- like analyze everything that's happening in international football um, just because I, I just don't want to. I'll just I'll just right. casually watch the games. Um, but you know when when the World Cup actually starts and we actually have to like you know start tracking the money, this is a bit closer. Then then we will take it seriously. But um, a quick update before we jump in. So. Um, Gareth Bale obviously not playing for Wales. Tony Kroos was sent home from the Germany squad. Um, who else? We had Marcelo's home. Marcelo's home. Casemiro was the captain of of Brazil in their last game. Um, Argentina is straight up doing a choke job, which is amazing. Um, Ashraf played left back from Morocco yeah, and apparently he played well I didn't watch yeah. it but one of my Twitter followers tweeted me and said Ashraf is dominating the left flank yeah um Luka Modric well, I, yep Croatia kind of in a pickle I think they'll be okay but they they drew um and they're in a much tighter spot than they should have been because they were top of the group heading into it and then they they tied who was it? They tied against Finland, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and they fired their coach immediately after that game. So did they? they? Have, 
They're gonna yeah, they're gonna have a new coach come Tuesday for the for their big final game. Wow. Yeah. Like, Croatian football is a mess. I, you know, yeah. Andrich was saying it after the game too. Like, I, you just can't understand what, why they're not beating these smaller teams. They have enough talent to do it. Yeah. Um, Kovacic did not start that game. I don't know if he even came on. I don't think he did. Well, he's still out. He's injured. Oh, he's injured, right? Um, yeah. Which we'll get to that in a second. Um, yep. Did we miss anyone? We're we're about to get to Ronaldo. So I haven't. Oh, Isco had a great performance against Albania in their three 0 victory. Um, which is Asensio. good for him. He's he's kind of bounced back the last couple of games. Asensio also played. Yep. I think Nacho and Ramos also played. Nacho came on for PK. Yeah. Um, so all our guys getting some time, which is good. Yeah, most of them. Um, I think we got them all. I think so. Um, so the first question is, uh, so we're going to go through our patron questions one by one. And, you know, this kind of, there's no game to cover really, uh, apart from just generally touching on the international matches. So we're going to jump right in. Our first patron question is from Jimmy Obeyed. And he says, for the Sunday pod, what are Ronaldo's and Portugal's chances of making it to the World Cup if they don't win their game on Tuesday? So um, Ronaldo came on as a substitute. So to a lot of people's surprise, considering this is a game that Portugal really needed to win, uh, against Albania, against uh, sorry Andorra, Ronaldo started on the bench, and I think the reasoning behind it was because they have a huge game against Switzerland coming up in the next game, and Ronaldo was one yellow card away from missing that one. So I think they were trying to see if basically they can just get the job done without Ronaldo. At halftime, they still hadn't scored, so they they just didn't want to risk it anymore, and, and Ronaldo came on. Um, can you give us a brief update on, on what's going on with Portugal, Matt? Yeah, so in their group, it's only the top team qualifies automatically. So there's no, I know in other groups, it's as much as four teams qualify. But uh, within Portugal's group, it's just the top team. And right now, Switzerland is one, is, at number, is in first place with 27 points. Portugal is in second with 24 points. So they're three points off. So this game is huge, their next game. Uh, Hungary, the third place team, is 14 points below Portugal with 10 points. So yeah. they have no chance. So Portugal is automatically no. Even if they lose this game to Switzerland, they will play a qualifier uh, or a playoff qualifier. Um, that's yet to be determined against who. But no matter what, they will have a playoff chance. But they're hoping to secure that number one spot for automatic qualification. And Portugal have like by far, they're, they're, they're like by far the best second place team in any of the groups. And it just doesn't matter anyway. Um, yeah. They're going to have to go. The interesting thing is that uh, the teams that could join Portugal theoretically, like mathematically, Croatia could. So Modric and Kovacic could. France could. So that means Varane could. And then Bale could with Wales. Ronaldo could. Obviously, you know, if Portugal you know, don't come first. So it is interesting how many Real Madrid players might actually be in a pickle um, fighting for their lives and having to play two more games um, in these qualifiers should they should their teams come second. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they... So this is actually where it gets really interesting. Like, it is semi-interesting up until now because there have been a lot of good games, and I think in particular um, we've really enjoyed how Spain is just blitzing everyone and Isco Asensio are playing so well. But it does get really interesting if if this these scenarios unfold, and Ronaldo, Modric, Bale, Varane, Kovacic have to play extra games. It's not ideal because you want to play you want to play these guys as, as less as possible. 
but you know it's it, it could get interesting yeah, and I think it's uh even just specifically Ronaldo you look at four years ago at the last World Cup I, I he in my opinion he didn't play as well as he could he wasn't he he was in it was during that period when he was kind of struggling to find form and now even at almost 33 years old he looks leaner and fitter now than he did four years ago and he's playing better now yeah so I I would hate to see him not be in the World Cup and not see Portugal because honestly who knows what they can do again they could make a deep run who they could even win it and if he they did win it he would then there would be some serious discussions about Ronaldo being the true greatest of all time uh, that would be incredible you know in, yeah. in the World Cup where I think it's going to be tougher but you know they yeah. they, they have Andre Silva now uh, yeah who you know wasn't you know wasn't the figure in the Euros and Ronaldo loves playing with him so they have these they have a chance like I, I, I'm with you I, you know in yeah. my opinion my opinion of Ronaldo has changed so much throughout the last year to two years um, and I almost I, I almost don't hesitate when people ask who's the greatest of all time I really I think he's gone to a level that just is bewildering at this point I've never I've never thought he could get to this level I'm not sure if I knew anyone could get to this level just given his complete crazy bonker stats um <laughs> I, I i i agree with you i mean i think i mean listening to the pod years back we i know your opinion of it was we all kind of we saw we all thought ronaldo was declining we all thought we saw this he looked he almost looked too muscular he looked he looked slower he looked he wasn't his usual self he wasn't making the same impact he was still scoring the goals but it was different but even now, I mean, last year's Champions League rug, he was instrumental. He he, it wasn't just scoring the goals. He was involved in the play. He he, like I said, he looks fitter. He looks leaner. He looks faster. So it's unbelievable. He's almost thirty three years old and he's still doing it. Um, I've been I've been wrong a lot about a lot of things in my life. Never have I been more wrong about anything more than I was wrong about Ronaldo two years ago. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I I was aboard that train too, so I, I fully admit I was wrong as well. Nick Stefani, another patron, asks us, is it concerning to you that Madrid have yet to score from any corner slash set piece um, this year? With all the height in the team and the exploits of last year, it's something that proved hugely beneficial for us, yet it's been missing in our games this season. Is it just down to luck, is it more than that? Also, do you think Llorente gets some more time, game time coming up? So the first part of the question is set-piece question. Um, are you surprised, and is it luck, or is it something else? What do you think it is? Um, you know, I I hadn't thought much about this until this question came up, but I do think, I, I am surprised. I think it's obviously something I hope Zidane and his staff are looking at. I think it's only a matter of time, though. Honestly, I think it's only a matter of time. Sergio Ramos is probably being double marked by now, but we still have Ronaldo. We still have Bale. We'll have Varane. These guys, they're coming close. You see it every game. Even Nacho, who's not known for his area ability, and we oftentimes criticize him for his area ability, he's come close in a couple games on a corner kick. So it, it's going to come. It's going to come. It's, I think this is something that down the line it's going to come. And I think it's something that Zidane and his staff are going to look at and are going to kind of drill down on. Um, you mentioned Ramos getting double marked and stuff. You know what it is, right? Why he hasn't scored in so long? Why? Last last season, Omrod an article um, 
basically outlining why we're not why Ramos is so good at set pieces, and he hasn't scored since that article was posted. Yeah, and I mean, uh, um, also every time he turns on the Barcelona game, they'll be tied zero zero, and then when he turns it on, they score. So <laughs> I think we, uh, I think we need to have a little talk with Ohm. I yeah, I I think Ohm is like the Delofeo of managing Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, I mean, yeah, yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, I it the set piece thing is is almost like one of those things that'll just kind of normalize. The team is way too good. We have some of the most elite crossers on the planet. You know, if you look at our flanks, the amount of goals that was, you know Carvajal and Marcelo contributed from the flanks, um, two players like Ramos and Ronaldo and Bale. I just the team is way too good in in both crossing and and meeting set pieces. That I think it's it's only a matter of time. Um, the second part of this question from Nick he says also, do you think Llorente gets some more game time coming up? I. So that, I think, we'll actually see. Zidane typically rests the South American players after those yeah. long trips because they're, those are draining flights. Those qualifying matches down in South America are often played in high altitude, usually really aggressive, high-octane matches. It takes a lot out of you. So even Kaylor Navas is usually rested. So I wouldn't be surprised in our next, next game against Getafe with Kovacic out Llorente likely will get the start. So, um, and then we have the Copa del Rey with Fuenlabrada um, that coming up. So he'll get some minutes there. So I definitely think we should see more of him. Um, though, who I personally want to see given more minutes is Ceballos. I think Zidane is trying to mm. develop him and ease him in like Asensio last year. But honestly, he's at the level that he's ready to be a full-time rotation player, ready to get starting minutes. So. I personally really want to see more Ceballos. Well, here's the thing. Like, they both are, right? I mean, yeah. both of these guys were among the two of the best midfielders in the league last season. And they, they did it with much, without much talent around them. And you surround them with better players and they can just go to another level, I think, that we haven't seen yet. Um, with Ceballos, I think he's, his transition has been pretty seamless. I think he's... You know, both and both him and Marcos, you know, they know players in the team. And, you know, from the under-21 team, I think they really bonded with Jesus and uh, and Marco Asensio. And so I, I, I'm with you. Like, these are the two players that we consistently get questions about. Like, are they going to get playing time? Um, and we got similar questions last year with Asensio, who, who like you mentioned, he was really eased in and, and finished the, the season really strong. And Kovacic was another one that we just... When Zidane first took over, Kovacic was almost like forgotten to the point where everyone was like, he's gone. There's no way he yeah. survives this. Like Zidane is, just doesn't trust him. Um, and that's kind of the reason why we we tend not to worry about Llorente and Ceballos so much because just going back on the recent history under Zidane, we know he doesn't he doesn't force the issue. He'll he'll be patient with, you know, grooming their players. And I don't think anyone has just basically has the right to question that at this point because I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt in terms of grooming the players the right way. I think you brought up good points. Llorente, um, you mentioned the South American thing. You know, I think but that's also one of the reasons why we were better than Barca last year over the course of the entire season because so many of their players were coming back from South America 
And for us last year, it was it wasn't these long overseas trips. It was you know just really quick flights for our players. We're mostly European based. Uh, and by the time Neymar and Messi and Suarez had come back to Barca last year from those international flights, and uh, and they needed rest and rotations, and the players that they were bringing in like just just weren't able to keep them up, like Paco Alcácer, who just wasn't playing regularly. Um, yeah, where was and, I going with this? Yeah, you go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> well. Just to kind of build off that, I mean, uh, for those who have read Stephen Mannes' book, The Real Madrid Way, he he talks about the importance of rotation, and Zidane fully understands the importance of rotation. And he also talks about how those flights, they add up. The flights, they, they, take, your, they take the toll on their body, especially those long South American flights. And like you said, Barcelona, because the, at the Alcaceres and – the Andre Gomez, the guys like those didn't step up. Neymar, Messi, and Suarez just had to continually play, and that that wore them out by the end of the season. I I mean I I'll take like a five hour flight and I'm wounded for like a week. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine if you're playing at that altitude, you're playing the more, one of the most physically demanding things in all the sports, going you know toe to toe in you know a complete war zone against a south american team where there's so much p- politics and emotion involved um that i can't imagine i think i would just die the so you mentioned you mentioned that and where i was going with that was that um so with casemiro probably being rested um i'm not sure we see him against katafe kovacic is also still injured so i think that is an ideal spot for Llorente to slide in yeah um Ceballos kind of because it's a different position. I don't know how much we'll see him, but I but I imagine we will at least see him off the bench, and he's been in good form. So, um, yeah. Uh, the next question is from Essa Hariri, and he says it is a question about Benzema. And he says, "So yesterday I had a dream that Benzema will come back stronger than ever and win the Golden Boot this year as a top scorer in Europe." He scores a hat-trick against Barca and in the Champions League final. My question is, how drunk was I last night? And I would like to know, how does his stats in his best season in Lyon compare to his best seasons at Real Madrid? Um, Benzema hat-trick in the Clasico, scores in the Champions League final. It's not that He's not that drunk. I, I, <laughs> he's, he's drunk about the hat-trick, I think. But I think um, Benzema is one of our are players that almost always steps up in a big game, and particularly in class. He loves playing against Barca. I don't know what it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How So how drunk was he? So, I mean, I, I don't see Benzema being golden boot this year. I mean, just the way Messi started, and we know Ronaldo's going to come around. I, I just, I don't, I don't see it happening. But And historically, you just look at the facts historically, Benzema just hasn't been up there with the with the top goal scorers. So the the part of the question asked what was his best figure for Real Madrid and his uh, best figure for Lyon. Well, in the uh, 2015-2016 season for Real Madrid, he scored 24 goals in the league, um, and his best turnout for Lyon was uh, 20 goals. So. He's and it for me. I think and I'm I'm not a Benzema hater. I I fully appreciate what he does for the team and I I <clears throat> I think he's instrumental in being a part of this core group that has helped us um, win three Champions League trophies in four years. But I do think 
he should be scoring 20 goals, 20 La Liga goals every season. I think that's something that with should just be a prerequisite. I think he should be that should be happening every season and it hasn't. Um it's only happened twice. So I think that's something he needs to kind of focus on and really he should be scoring 20 goals every season. Um the hat trick part of this question, as far as I know, he's <laughs> he's not a hat trick machine or anything. Um the only one I can pinpoint is against Auxerre, and I think that was in the Champions League. Uh, I'm trying to think. I think it was his first season with the club. Um, the statistics thing, I mean, it's interesting. Like, he's had, by the way, he did, in all competitions, he scored 31 in 2000-2008 with Lyon. Um, so that includes 20 in the league, 7 in the cup, four in the Champions League, and then he regressed a little bit the season after, uh, but he also played less games. Um, I think his best season with Real Madrid was uh, 2012. And in all competitions, he scored 33 goals, and that includes 11 in the league, which is not... Sorry, 21 in the league, four in the cup, seven in Europe, um, but the interesting thing about that is if you compare that specific season 2012 with Van Nistelrooy 2007, 31 goals, Ronaldo, OG Ronaldo 2003, 29 goals. So a statistical output in scoring goals is better than those, the best years of OG Ronaldo and Rude in Real Madrid. But maybe more interesting, I think this is kind of like a more telling sign of who Benzema is as a player. That year, 13 assists. Van Nistelrooy, 2 assists. OG Ronaldo, 0 assists. And wow, I think that kind okay. of just... Yeah, like, that, that does. That, yeah, it kind of encapsulates who he is. I mean, if you if you ask in a vacuum, who out of those three, who would you pick? I think I'd go OG Ronaldo, then Rude, and then Benzema. But I mean, if we're comparing them statistically, I think he brings more to the table than people realize, especially if we're talking about peak Benz. Yeah, and I think when you ask that question, you have to. I think you have to caveat it with what type of system are we playing? Because then maybe Benzema is number one on that list. Uh, who's yeah. he playing with? Is he playing with Cristiano Ronaldo? Then maybe Benzema is on that list. Because I don't know that. I mean, Rude and Ronaldo didn't get along too well at Manchester United, and then OG Ronaldo. He, I mean, he would be a more if he's playing with Cristiano. They'd have to share the goals a bit more. I just. I wrote about this in the column sometime. Maybe it was in the summer. I don't know. I would pay so much money if science could make it possible if OG Ronaldo and his prime could come and play on this team with Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm also not sure just how it would work, to be honest. Yeah. I'm thinking back to OG Ronaldo, and he was one of my favorite players ever. I just He's not the type of player like who would just drop, drop deep and link up with players. And I don't know. I, I don't know how it would work. It would be fascinating. Um, it would. It would. <laughs> Anton Hackberg says this site is the site I primarily use to see when injured uh, or are when injured or expected to come back. Players have. Man, I'm sorry. I'm try, <laughs> trying to figure out the wording on this question. Anton is basically asking us um, to give us an update on Real Madrid's current injuries, their expected return dates, but also to to talk about favorite websites where people can check this stuff. So. The quick update, 
is this and Matt if I miss anything just jump in okay okay um Kovacic was initially six weeks and he'll be back sometime after the Tottenham game he won't be back in time for Tottenham I think it'll still be one or two weeks away after that um Gareth Bale the latest is still around a month but we don't exactly have a perfect timetable for that my guess is he might just miss November 1st against Tottenham and and if he misses that one he'll probably be back after but again the frustrating thing with him is that we get timelines with him and then as we approach the date we there's a setback somewhere and then in one month turns into two months I'm hoping that doesn't happen this time um Danny Carvajal is complicated because he's out indefinitely and we got reports that he was out for two months at least. Onda Cero reported he might be back next week, but I think that is way too optimistic. I still think the more proper diagnosis is is, is a couple months, maybe more. Um, who's next? Marcelo, I think, should be back for the Champions League game. I think Teo will be back as well. Um, but they will both miss Getafe. Who else am I missing? Uh, Benz, I think, is back now. Benz is back, yeah. I think that's it. Yep. Okay. Um, as In terms of where you should check, Anton, check managingmadrid.com. <laughs> um, if you want someone on Twitter, also just follow uh, Lucas Navarrete, and uh, he usually posts his reports pretty timely, and he'll, he'll tweet it out. Um, the next question is from Wagnerian Malarite uh, from Patreon. He says, what do you guys think of Zidane's formations and how it's affected Ronaldo's place? That is, being a little bit behind Isco, and also, do you think that could mean a change for Benzema when he comes back, and could he also be left a bit behind Isco's position? What do you think about this, Matt? So, I think that was more a function of the Espanol game and just how things played out. I think... I don't think it may have necessarily been something that Zidane is going to maintain moving forward. I think Ronaldo is going to be higher than Isco in most cases. Um, I think that was just a function of that game that Isco found himself higher up the field and was making those runs in behind just because we had to try something a little bit different to break down that those defensive lines, those two banks of four. So, um as for Benzema, I mean, it's we haven't been in a position where we've had everyone healthy, Benzema, Isco, Bale, Ronaldo. So we haven't seen exactly what Sedan's thinking, what the go-forward Once de Gala, as they like to say in Spain, will be. And I know that here at Managing Madrid, we don't, we, we, there's always going to be rotations. There's always going to be changes in the lineup. So it's not going to be something that um, really needs to be stressed upon so much, but I don't. I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what does happen, like in those big matches against, say, a Bayern Munich or Barcelona. But I think Benz and Ronaldo. It seems like we're shifting more towards a four-four-two, and Benz and Ronaldo, or be it Isco and Ronaldo, Bale and Ronaldo, they're going to be the players, and they'll be interchanging all the time. I think those two, though, are going to be the most advanced. Yeah, I'm not sure if I have much to add to that. I think the Espanol game. It wasn't clear to me um, if that was something by design or something that just happened naturally. Because Zidane, after the game, had mentioned that Isco and Ronaldo kind of switched roles. But I'm not entirely sure if, if he meant that they just happened to switch roles 
and we just saw Ronaldo drop back a bit deeper. I think, I don't know how much we'll see it, but I also would not be surprised if we just saw it throughout the game and we saw them switch like we do almost every game. Every single player is almost interchangeable with the other. Um, so things can kind of shift in game and things can can kind of morph into different things. Isco can play a bit deeper. He can play a bit more advanced. You know, this a question appeared on the last podcast about Isco and it does turn out like statistically he can prove that his ball retention has dropped this season. Um, but he's contributed more key passes offensively. He's His pass completion rate has been better. So I think he's doing more in the final third and doing less in the middle third. But I don't think he's incapable of going back and playing a more versatile hovering role that he can do. And I think it all depends on, you know, if the lineup and who's playing and who's available and who's not. But, um, yeah, I don't know how permanent this is, but I am I am uh, encouraged that these are options because, you know, we don't talk about it enough, but Ronaldo can play deeper if he wants to. It's not his best position, but I, I've never been disappointed with Ronaldo's decision-making when he comes back because he's very quick to just find an outlet um, and he's very good in terms of just passing and cutting teams open, as we saw against both Alaves uh, and also against Espanyol. And uh, I think, yeah. just just to add on to that, yeah. Kian, uh, I think um, with Isco, I think we have to. It's it's we've come to see that he is so versatile. He's really grown as a player over all his seasons at Madrid, and. I mean, he can play the Modric role, the center mid role, perfectly. And I, I personally feel that, yes, I, I love Kovacic, and I do think he is one of the hairs to Modric's throne in his position. But I think Isco is as well. And, I mean, we saw in the sporting Hihon game last year that he he played that Modric position, and he put the team on his back. And, and he's played there a couple times this season as well. And as Modric ages, as much as we don't want to think about it, as he does age, um, I think Isco is going to be growing in that role as well. So Zidane has a number of positions he can put him in, so that's that's a blessing that us Madrid fans have. Those were all the uh, guaranteed Patreon questions. So if you would like a guaranteed response to every single question you ask in either a mailbag or a podcast, go to patreon.com slash managingmadrid. You can get different rewards there. Um such as you can ask me to write an article of your choice, you can get guaranteed questions in, you can actually appear on the podcast if you pledge enough. That's one of the rewards. Um, and there are a ton of other things. And if you, even the minimum pledge, which is a dollar a month, will get you access to our midweek uh, patron-only podcast, which is just for patrons. And our next one will be on Wednesday. So go to patreon.com slash managingmadrid. Um, this is another patron question from Austin Collison. Um and Austin, I'm going to just kind of read this quickly, but I'm more interested, Matt, in, in just hearing your answer because I don't think you and I have talked about this before. Um, so Austin says, I'm a relatively new fan to the great sport of soccer and started following Real Madrid this season and stumbled upon your podcast and loved the material and your input each week discussing the team. Thank you, Austin. You're the greatest. I was drawn to this club after doing some research about the rich history of the team and the great levels of success that they've had on and off the field in promoting their brand throughout the world. I was wondering what aspects of Real Madrid made you guys decide this was the club you wanted to support. They obviously attract the top tier athletes in the world and usually dominate La Liga as well as the rest of Europe. But 
Was there something else about the club that really struck you and made you appreciate them even more? Halamadri. All right, Matt, I'm really interested to hear your story. How did you become a fan? So, I, I mean, first off, I think it's it's always interesting to hear how fans have become fans of teams because there's always there's always some special element. There's always a story. There's always something that just made you bleed these colors. And mm. so, for me, I, I believe, believe it or not, I was actually born in Madrid, Spain. Mm. Uh, my father was working there at the time. I'm not Spanish, even though I like to think I am. But uh, we all we all uh, pretend we are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I was, I was born there and I lived there for three years. And, um, but more than that, I started, I didn't really start watching and really following every game and becoming just an addict until I was around 10, 11 years old. And what something, the white shirt drew me in the prestige of the club. Like it just, there's something that feel it's. Real Madrid feels like it's on another level. Like you almost not to sound snobbish, but you feel as a fan of Real Madrid, you feel almost elitist. You feel you have the highest demands, you have the highest standards, you have you expect nothing but the best. And it feels good to be part of that, to be part of that prestige, to see the white shirts, to see to follow those values. So I think all that kind of drew me in and really I've always felt an affinity towards Madrid because I was born there. I felt a closeness and an affinity towards Spain. So that all culminated together and kind of made me become a diehard Madridista. Was your dad a fan? So he actually, he wasn't a big soccer guy. Um, my I have an older brother and a younger sister, and they both played, were all diehard Madridistas, and we were all played soccer and so he's now a fan because of us but he was not a fan at the time hmm. uh, that i just imagine that that makes an amazing family dynamic just getting together and watch the game yeah oh yeah it's fun um you were at the you were at the last la liga classico at the bernaba when messi oh. scored the game winner yeah it was first off it was an absolutely incredible experience i mean i feel like everyone any diehard Madridista should try and see a big Champions League game, a Clasico, any a big Atletico Madrid rivalry game, anything at the Bernabeu because it is absolutely, it is a life goal. It is incredible. And but that game, I I was talking to you before the podcast, and it was just we we talk about how Zidane maybe made a mistake having all the guys push up and pressure, but more so than I would put it on Zidane's shoulders. It was kind of it was. The crowd was so egged on after James scored. You could feel it. Everyone was just so pumped up. Everyone wanted to go for go for Barcelona's throat and then just get that when we felt it. We felt it was coming. It just as a Madrid fan, you know, you you feel it in the 90th minute. You feel something. And so I think the players got a hold of that instead of kind of being smart and just sitting back, taking the draw. They let it get to them. They felt the fan, the atmosphere and they pushed up and that uh that just killed us everyone as soon as Messi scored the final whistle blew and everyone's just heads dropped everyone's heads dropped yeah. and just everyone left the stadium it was it was a little depressing but I wouldn't let it I tried not to let it hurt uh hurt the night and hurt the fact that I finally made it out there for a Classica um that was by far the most gutting moment of the entire season um I, yeah. and thank god that it actually you know 
it was fine in the end. It, it that 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 pain was just leading to the double, and everything worked out. You got to suffer to enjoy the enjoy the trophies, enjoy the good moments. Um, were you 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 said you left at the age of three? Yeah. Would do so you had, do you ever scold your parents for 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 leaving? Oh, every my brother and I both did. We said we could have been in the Real Madrid academy. We could have been playing there, and uh, we both every day we're like, "What were you doing?" Um, my so my parents uh, lived there for about eight years, and um, they they moved to Canada before I was born. Oh. Um, and the reason they moved was for visa issues. So they their plan was to go to Canada for a year or two and then fix and then sort, of, sort out their visa and come back. And for whatever reason that no one can explain and, and <laughs> it's one of the mysteries of the universe, they decided that Canada, I don't know what, they found comfort here and, and they stayed. Um, and that was it. And the everything, my fate was altered forever and, I, and I'm Canadian. Um, which is fine. Canada is awesome, but yeah, um, it means that I I just have to travel to Spain a lot. the The way I became Madridista is, you know, basically stems from that because my dad was a huge Madridista. Um, among the the many games he he attended at the Bernabeu, the most memorable one was um, it was actually a Spain game. Um, and they had to i'm trying to figure out the the year it was but they, it was a world cup qualifier and they had to win by 11 goals oh, and God. if they if they didn't win by 11 goals then that was it they wouldn't qualify um and they won 11 nothing <laughs> oh my god that's incredible yeah that is- it was just like one goal after one goal i don't know if 11 goals was the exact final score line, but they won by 11 goals. Oh, my God. Um, and it was against a uh, European minnow. And I, and I guess it was lit. And I've gone and actually watched YouTube uh, videos and highlights of this game. Yeah. And it's completely bonkers. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to find it and send it to you. Yeah, yeah, please. Um, yeah, and that's essentially how I became Maridista. Um And I didn't really follow the game like that close. Like I... 1998 was the that World Cup was the first time I watched it. 1997 was the year Real Madrid won the uh, the Champions League against Juventus, and then the following year they won the Club World Cup. And I kind of the only reason I could follow that was through 442 magazine, and that yeah. those were essentially my highlights. Was the magazine? Yeah, during the early days, there was you couldn't. I'm sure not in Canada. You couldn't even in the U.S. couldn't get many Real Madrid games so I always had to try and yeah. awful streams follow it through articles like yeah. you name it anything you could yeah I mean they I think the first around 1999 you could start watching we could start watching games on ESPN um, but before that yeah no that was that was basically yeah. that was basically it for us we had this show called Soccer Saturday uh, <laughs> uh, and it aired every Saturday but they wouldn't actually show you the game the highlights from the games of that day obviously they would show you the highlights from the weekend before yeah. and we had no wi-fi so, growing up at home. so we <laughs> wouldn't know if Real Madrid had won until a week later um and i remember like that there were the 2-2 the classical raul shush the camp no and it's the really famous yeah. celebration 
I found out about that a week after, and I was waiting <laughs> oh for the result God. of that for a week. And yeah. Well. Um, last question from a non-patron is from Zeus Balmasera. He says Salgado or Carvajal. Which one of these is the best right back in Real Madrid history? I would just also add the fact that I think Chendo has probably has it on lockdown. But if we're talking about the modern era, did you have a chance to watch Salgado at all? Yes, I did. Um, and it's it, it's interesting because I think Salgado and Carvajal are actually similar type players. Mm. And it's obvious. I mean, Carvajal has been with us since he was how old? Eight years old. And he, I mean, he obviously grew up watching Salgado. Um yeah. But that this is a this is a tough question. I think it's almost something you have to wait until after Carvajal is done playing. But I mean, Salgado had two Champions Leagues, four La Ligas, I think it was, and so I mean his trophy hall in itself boasts nicely. But Carvajal does have three Champions League titles to his name already. I think right now I'd still give it to Salgado, but I think Carvajal, no doubt, will overtake that. Um, for the best right back in modern history for Real Madrid. Um, I think he's on his way, um, and hopefully these injury concerns are nothing and that he'll be hitting his best form again soon. But, yeah, I mean, I I love Carvajal. I love that he's from the academy. I, I, I'm one of those Madrid fans who has a little bit of a bias towards the Cantera, and uh, I, I'm a huge fan of his. So I, I think he will take that title eventually. Yeah, I'm with you. I think um I think there's two players both the wingbacks in the current squad that will will take over Salgado and Roberto Carlos and obviously that's Carvajal and and, uh, and Marcelo. I um the only reason I, you know, like in my mailbag uh just last week someone asked about the the Real Madrid 11 since 2000. And I put Roberto Carlos and, and Carvajal as my starters, and I think, and I will cling to that as long as I can because I know that they're going to get surpassed. So, and for that reason, I I said it was them. I think, I think Salgado was amazing. Um, like we didn't really know about him. Uh, I know that he broke out with Celta Vigo, and I think that was around ninety nine. Uh, and then in two thousand, he was. He was amazing Euro 2000. He was amazing with Spain, and we're like, "Wow, this guy's incredible!" And and Real Madrid had signed him, and he was so good. I mean, you basically had a, you didn't have a right side of Roberto Carlos because there's almost no such thing. Roberto Carlos yeah. was like a, an amazingly crazy, unique left back with two lungs and and uh, tree trunks for legs and and just crazy. But Salgado, what he did was like you mentioned, he was similar to Carvajal. I think he was very polished offensively. He was an amazing aide to Luis Figo on the right, um, and they they had a really great dynamic. And I think Salgado was an amazing player. I do think Carvajal, if he keeps this up, I think he can surpass Salgado. Um, yeah, I I don't know how if I have anything else to add to this. Well, speaking of Chendo, just uh, for all our Madrid fans out there, uh, I was actually the Ala Madrid series that Madrid has put out. I don't know if you saw it in the, one of the. I think it was episode six. Did you say you were in it? it? A, no, 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 no. I, uh, I, I watched oh, it. I watched like, it. The, okay. one of the most recent episodes. I yeah, think yeah, it was yeah. episode six. And uh, I don't know if you see it. There's like a small blur where it was Morata and Marcelo joking. And Morata 
makes a joke about Chendo's glasses, and it is hilarious. I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but everyone go back and check it out because it's hilarious. Is it so? You it's suggest that we watch that documentary? I haven't watched a second so, of any of that yet. Any I, of I mean, there. I, I, I would, I would watch them. I mean, there. Mm-hmm. I don't think it, you're gonna see anything you don't already know. Yeah, uh, but it's just doc- it's well done. I heard. But, yeah, it is yeah. well done, and I mean that one small tidbit right there just made me laugh so hard. So. <laughs> Um, I think we're done. Do you want to plug anything? So you have an article actually going up later tonight or tomorrow morning. It's about Zidane. Yeah, I do. I do have something coming out tomorrow. Um, it's about Zidane and come, some of the the challenges and the tests that are coming this year. I think this year, uh, specifically this season, after on the back of all this success, is going to be obviously his toughest challenge. He's got a bullseye on his back, and I think. What I what I personally love about Zidane is we've gone through all these these managers Ancelotti, Mourinho, Benitez, Pellegrini, and no, I always had something that I nitpicked that I just couldn't stand about them. But with Zidane, I don't have like he covers all the bases, he checks every box. Like I really can't complain too much. And but now I think we're seeing teams sit back, we're seeing teams kind of bunker in, and now's now's the real test for Zidane. Matt Wiltz. It was a pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show. We'll have to get you on more often. Uh, I think you uh, are definitely a fan favorite at Managing Madrid. So thank you for coming on, my friend. Hey, thanks, Kian. It was fun, man. Thanks. Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus 30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate.